What's up, Redemption? How you doing? Back from a two-week hiatus, the podcast is here with episode number 38. On this episode, we're going to be going over some tournament results from recent tournaments, the last round of tournaments really before nationals, which is only nine days away. Guys, it's single-digit days away. Fuel up the hype train and let's get moving. All right? On this episode, we're going to have my buddy John Early, who is stepping into the role as MC at Nationals, come on and kind of talk about the announcement that they made about players being aware of pace of play. So we've got that for you. And without further ado, we'll get right into it. Thanks for being here. Guess who's back? Back again. The podcast is back. Tell a friend. Back from hiatus for two weeks. Podcast is back. I want to thank you for joining for episode 38 of The Threshing Floor. And guys, I just want to say that Nationals is nine days away. We are single digits away from Nationals. All right. We have talked about it seemingly for over a year, it seems like. Because that's how excited I was after last Nationals to go right back and do it again. And the time is upon us. We are nine days away. This time next week, we will be in route to Nationals. So I am super stoked. I hope you guys are as stoked as I am about Nationals and what it entails. And with that said, I would like to say that you're probably hearing a little bit of an echo from the audio here tonight as I record because we have done it. We are recording from the new Threshing Floor Studios, my office at the new warehouse location. So we have gotten most of our stuff moved, uh, probably 90 to 95% of the stuff moved. We've got to clean up the old building and, you know, make sure it's presentable for the owners there. We want to leave it in good shape. But we've got most of our stuff here. It's all cluttered and still wrapped up in random pallets and things that we've got to break down and organize things. The office is still mostly torn apart here. I've got the desk put up, but there's not a lot of stuff in this big office. So there is a bit of an echo. So if you're hearing that, that is the reason for that. So what I'm doing here is I'm going to do the first half of the episode that I normally do where I go over recent content, recent spoilers, things of that nature. And I'm going to do that before having the conversation that I recorded with John early on the back half of the podcast episode. Because for time constraints, I was not able to get this done all at once. So I had to break it up into little sections. So with that said, I would like to provide a bit of a life update with the uh, with the warehouse move. And you guys know this because I haven't had a podcast for the last couple of weeks. Part of that was because of the work move and whatnot. I mean, last week alone, I put in 87 hours working on moving the warehouse and things. But Another thing that was taking time away from my ability to be flexible with the podcast and with my other, you know, commitments was my son's baseball. You know, he made all-star team this year and they made it to the state tournament. And so they have been, obviously the state tournament is over now and they were eliminated, but they finished, I believe, fifth in the state. And starting the year out, no one expected our seven and eight team to be able to do that because Last year, they didn't make it past sub-district. Or I guess they played sub-district, and then you play district, and you're guaranteed at least two games. It's a double elimination. They were eliminated. The 7-8 and eight team was. 
after two games. So they didn't win any games. They weren't competitive. And the expectation was, you know, a slight improvement over that. But for them to go to the state tournament, finish fifth, is pretty good. They won the first game at the state tournament 34 to nothing. Um, it was clearly a, a mismatch, and I'm not sure why they, they let the game go on like that. But 34 to nothing. And I really wish we could have bottled some of those runs and saved them for the game after. But then they – ended up losing to a team that was probably on their same level slightly maybe slightly better and that put them into the you know first first loss bracket so losers bracket if you will and they fought until they played the same team they won a couple of games and had to play the same team that had beaten them previously and they couldn't get it done against them so their season ended there so baseball is over and that is off the, the plate. The warehouse is moved now. We're in the new office. So things will be settling down, hopefully, for me. And it is just perfect timing because Nationals is right around the corner. So I'm really excited for Nationals. I'm really excited to have a lot of things that were, you know, things that were weighing on my shoulders to kind of be working themselves off so that I can freely focus on the fact that Nationals is here. All that we've been working on, all that we've been building up to, all of these great podcast episodes where we've had guests, and I say great episodes, I mean great guests that came on and made them great, not speaking you know, boldly about myself here um, or boastfully. Just the fact that all that we've worked towards is finally here, and I'm excited about that, and I hope you guys are as excited about Nationals now as all the time that we were building up to it. So... I would like to go over some content that has come out in the past week, or I guess past couple of weeks, to be honest, here. We've got Redemption with Jaden. He's got some gameplay from both the Minnesota State Tournament and the North Central Regional Tournament, which the North Central Regional happened this past weekend. And so that's a very recent tournament that you can go and look at gameplay and see what people were playing, see what deck kind of rose to the top and whatnot there. And then he's also got the deck that he used in the Minnesota State Tournament. He's got a deck breakdown of it on his channel, Redemption with Jaden, YouTube. Just his standard video for the week on last Thursday. Or I guess that's Thursday, two weeks ago. See, skipping podcast episodes keeps me off schedule. So I'm going to have to record just so I stay on schedule. And then last Thursday, he has a live game with Renee. So you've got all of those great resources. You can go and kind of see what decks are being played in high-level tournaments on Redemption with Jaden. As far as the land of Tyler Talks, Tyler has a deck that's come out in kind of a response to the announcement from the Elder Group that players are not playing up to tempo properly, and they need to be mindful of this and make sure that they're aware that they're taking their turn within the limits that are allowed per the host guide. And so Tyler talks about that in his video and also shows what it's like to play up to proper tempo. So make sure you go check that out. And we'll also talk a little bit more about that in the conversation that we've got coming with my buddy John. So our buddy Rob M. from New York with Rob M. Studios on YouTube has a Zoom game with B. Swan. And you can go and check that out on his channel. I've not watched it yet, so I don't know many details about that. So make sure you, you go and check that out. It's always fun to watch other 
other people play games because you get exposed to decks maybe you're not playing and you might see something that you like. You might see something that you need to be aware of so that you can be prepared to play against it in tournaments. So make sure you, you take advantage of all the gameplay that's available. And then I guess we have some tournament results from a few tournaments that happened this past week. I was working to get the North Central Regional results, but I have not yet. But I do have the Indiana State results and also the East Central Regionals results. So for Indiana State, and this is a tournament where Jay Chambers, who resides in Michigan, went down to Indiana to help the guys out there and host that tournament. For type one, Brandon Swango came in first place. In second place was Jay Chambers. In third place was Jeff Lemon. In type two, Jay Chambers came in first. Andy Fish came second. And Ryan Wogeman came in third. In booster, Sawyer LaFountain came in first. Andy Fish second. And Brandon Swango third. In sealed, Brandon Swango came in first. Sawyer LaFountain came in second. And Jeff Lemon came in third. In teams, Andy Fish and Jeff came in first place. And then Brandon Swango and Sawyer LaFountain came in second. Jay Chambers and Ryan Wogeman came in third. For East Central Regionals, we've got the results as follows. Type 1, Jeremy Chambers in first place. In second, Brian Jones. And in third, Sean Seavers. In type two, first place, Jeremy Chambers. In second, Tyler Stevens. And in third, Chris Fashman. In sealed deck, first place was Brian Jones. Second place was Seth Bennett, I believe. I'm looking at Chris's writing, so if that is not right, I blame Chris. And then third was Nathaniel Swanson, maybe. Booster draft in first place was Sean Seavers. Second place was some guy named John Hendricks. And in third was Isaiah Swanson. And for teams, first place was Jeremy Chambers paired with John Hendricks, myself. And then second was Chris Fashman and Sean Seavers. And third was Joe Swanson and Philip Anderson. So those are the tournament results that we've got. And for the spoilers that have come out in the last couple of weeks, I just kind of picked and chose a couple that I wanted to go over and ones that kind of piqued my interest. And then just assume that most people have already seen them by now. But I want to go over the dominance that came out for the starter decks. And so the first dominant that we've got here is called Lord of Armies, which is a pretty cool name for a dominant for the starter deck. So Lord of Armies, it's a good dominant. And it says OT human may ban to up to three first Samuel heroes. And so this is a card that lets you potentially, as long as you have an Old Testament human in battle, bring in up to three additional heroes. So you have to keep in mind that you can't play this with special initiative. So if they're doing a removal ability, you wouldn't be able to use this. But assuming that you have a character, you get to bring this, you get to bring more in with this. And then on the flip side, there's an evil dominant that is titled Warrior Overtaken. And this says you may take an evil Philistine from deck or reserve. Discard a hero in territory 
in a territory to add an evil Philistine to battle. And this one I find really interesting because I like to play Philistines. And I can I can just think of the fact that Philistine armor bearer is a generic character. So just bear with me. He can go and grab a weapon and he can equip a weapon and then discard this weapon to discard a hero. You know, there's a couple of those weapons from the IJ starter deck, something like that, or under deck hero. Or you could just grab a negate and then you can exchange to the reserve for Commander Feichel, who is a unique character, who gets to equip another weapon to do something. And then when your armor bearer is in your reserve, now you could play this to then take out a hero in an opponent's territory to add your armor bearer back to battle to exchange for another one. I don't know what all abilities you would pair with that, like the weapons and whatnot, but that'd be pretty cool. And I just think it's a a pretty good utility thing for you to be able to get potentially an exchange with your armor bearer and then getting back out of reserve to bring in someone else. And an add to battle is also pretty, pretty significant because you can discard a hero in a territory to add an evil Philistine to battle. So you could discard who they might present next and you could add your Goliath to battle. And he negates banned abilities, but he's being added to battle versus being banded in. So you don't have to worry about that. So probably some cool things you could do with that dominant if you're playing Philistine. So I'm excited about that one. The next one that I picked for us to go over is Possessing Spirit. It's a 1-3 orange demon territory class. And it is a generic on the identifiers, and then it has unity requirement that your evil characters be gospel. And the ability says, may ban to a gospel evil character, or if played from hand, you may place this card on a good card. All right, so play it from hand, place it on a good card. Now you're going to negate good cards in that good cards controller's territory and set aside area. So it's kind of wordy and... You might have to read it a second time to understand, but once you understand, you understand it completely. You negate good cards in the controller's territory and set-aside area once you place this on a good card. So you would place it on an opponent's, and then you would be able to negate good cards in their territory and set-aside area. And I think that's very important, that it's something that hits set-aside area, but just negates good cards overall. It's not a, a specific type of good card, so a good enhancement, a good car- or a hero, it just good cards. The next one I've got is Contagious Fear. This is a 3-2 Mono Brigade Evil Gold Enhancement. It has a star ability to reserve the top card of a deck. We've seen that before. That is the star ability that is on Teaching in Parables, I believe it is, and it can be quite handy in games. So another playable card that has that is pretty strong. But the regular special ability is to reserve an evil New Testament human in battle to protect lost souls from rescue. So you reserve an evil New Testament human in battle to protect lost souls from rescue. So you play this on your lone evil character in battle. It removes itself because it's being reserved. So the enhancement would go away. So it can't be negated by woes afterwards. I believe that to be correct, I could be wrong, but so it's basically an element of chump block for the Herods. 
So that's definitely interesting element there. And we've seen kind of the way that they're going to be able to just burn through your resources by getting rid of your, your heroes and getting rid of your resources. But then to also have an element of a chump block gives it a well-rounded, you know, potential blocking defense in that mono brigade or mostly mono brigade evil gold. The next one that I have for us to go over is a 2-2 mono brigade evil gold enhancement. This one is called Massacre of Innocence. And this one also has a star ability to reserve the top card of a deck. So there you go. Double it up. And then the special ability is reserve all heroes in battle. If that was the only ability, that would be fantastic. But then it says, if used by a Herod, reserve all heroes in battle. Or I'm sorry, reserve all heroes in battle. If used by a Herod, reserve all heroes in territories. So all heroes in territories, that's going to hit you as well. So you have to make sure you either have protection or you have a way to get your heroes back out of your reserve. But that's a pretty, pretty cool card there. That's going to bring us to two spoilers that came out today, actually. So the last seven spoilers Gabe mentioned are going to be kind of spoiled or shared from various other places than just the spoiler channel. And so one of those places was the Redemption um, Facebook page. And we finally get to see our boy Simon Peter or Peter the Rock. And a lot of people believe that this card would be an ultra rare. And who's to say that it's not going to be an ultra rare? I'm not entirely sure if the ability is something that would be an ultra rare, but it's still a pretty solid card here. So Simon Peter on his ability side is Mono Brigade Purple. 12 and 10 are his numbers. So he is a beefy rescue option as far as numbers go. He's got the identifiers of Disciple, Empty Tomb, Jerusalem, Martyr, Missionary, and Prophet. He has a star ability that says, Play a Meek Disciple from Deck. And then his regular ability says, You may convert this card to Meek to play a good New Testament fortress from Deck. May ban to a Disciple cannot be negated. And then on his Meek side, he is both Clay and Green. So he drops the, the purple to pick up clay and green, and the numbers are 10 and 12, so they're inverted. So 10 strength and 12 toughness, and he is titled Peter the Rock. For on this rock I shall build my church, Jesus told him. So there you are. That is Peter, Simon Peter, and Peter the Rock. Very, very excited to finally see that card. And then we've got Prince of This World. And this is a card that has been around before, and this is its latest iteration into the card pool. His numbers are 10 and 12. He is Mono Brigade Orange, so he is a demon, even though he doesn't have the identifier because he is Mono Brigade. It is a given that he is a demon, and he has a star ability to top deck an evil fortress from deck. So that's going to help you get to your evil fortresses like your gates of hell, things of that nature by top decking that. And then his special ability says protect your gospel demons from lone heroes and opponents dominance. You may bounce a character in a territory, cannot be prevented. So you basically get a version of the ability that's on Emperor Nero, the promo version 
for demons, gospel demons, that is, and you may bounce a character, so you get a bounce with it, and then CBP, same as the Emperor Nero. So it, it definitely reminds me of that card, but allowing you to get that with the Orange Brigade, and the guy looks pretty cool. There's some 3D elements. His wings are cutting out of the frame. He's in front of the art box frame, but behind the text box. A lot of cool elements in this one. It's a good-looking card, and it kind of keeps some classic artwork for the game, having that backyard entertainment cartoon image for Prince of This World. So definitely excited to see that one. And with that, that is going to conclude this first half of the episode where you're having to put up with me being boring by myself. So I want to thank you guys for tagging along. I want to thank you guys for keeping up with the podcast while we've been away. And we'll get right into the conversation here with my buddy John. So thanks again. All right. Thanks for joining, John. And this is uh, a chance for us to go over an announcement that you guys made concerning timing within a turn and within certain phases of the game. So wanted to uh, see about having you on just to kind of go over that and talk about what the expectation is for nationals. So I guess maybe you could start by saying uh, what are some of the concerns that you guys are seeing and then what is the expectation that you would like to see from players as far as the timing goes at Nationals? So, you know, we saw a couple of things and it's not isolated to, you know, one tournament or one um, event. I know it felt a little bit that way because I I just I felt it was really important in the moment as it was happening to to share with the community kind of the direction we were going because we're only nine days away from nationals, you know, nationals is in a week and a half, a little under, you know, you guys are hearing this on Tuesday and nationals is next Thursday. So it's kind of important, um, you know, even on Saturday, you know, three days ago or whatever to, to, Hey, like, well, this information needs to be out there because it's, it's kind of a, kind of a deal, you know, so um, we saw it definitely for sure at North Central Regionals. And then Tyler reported back that he's seen it at his tournaments, you know, consistently all year. And really what it is, is it is a bogged down, um, slow play. And it's not, it's not deliberate or malicious by any means. It is simply because there are a lot of cards and people are trying to abuse a lot of actions in the prep phase and not just the Widow deck. Um, some of the Widow decks of the tournament were definitely slow rolling. Um, there were other decks that were post-exilics, which try to abuse a ton of stuff in the preparation phase uh, that were slow rolling as well. And then it's just overall, it just felt like a good reminder of, hey, we have time limits and they've been on the books for a decade at least, probably longer than that. I know for sure at least seven years because I checked them in 2015 when I was going to play my defensive heavy deck because I didn't want to time out. So I checked the timing rules back then because I wanted to make sure if I needed to enforce them on somebody. Um, and so they've been around for at least seven years. I'm going to say a decade, and it's probably longer than that. Um, so it's more just us, you know, having a more stringent, um, holding to those because that's fair for both players. If you are not doing, you know, some of these abusive things in the preparation phase and you're actually making decisions and taking time, uh, cause that's the other thing that we see a lot is players just kind of hemming and hawing over decisions. And I get it. 
there's a ton of things in the game that you do need to think about, but that is also part of the game. Like um, classic example is just you're sitting there and you have a look at hand ability and you spend 90 seconds looking at the hand and reading each card and evaluating, you know, all the possible angles and lines of play that your opponent might have to, to, you know, respond to you. Honestly, like, I look at a hand and I look at the card and say, cool, awesome. He can't block me this turn. Let's go slam a rescue. And then sometimes on their attack, I sit and think a minute and say, oh, crumbs. Like, uh, what enhancement do they have again? And so, like, I get it. The, you know, sweet spot is probably somewhere between those two things. But 90 seconds is a long, long time until you try to activate 20 abilities in one phase, which is not what the game of redemption is supposed to be about. So that's really why it kind of popped up and, and why we, we said, hey, guys, we're going to hold to these a little stronger. Uh, the other factor for that is simply just pace of play in the tournament at whole. We don't want games to time out. We want both players to have a fair amount of time on both sides of the game, and we want games to get done. Um, we want to minimize time between rounds. We don't want games going to time and then going well past time as players sit and hem and haw. And that's definitely where you'll see us uh, enforce the rules of the most stringent is if you've hit the time limit and you're one of like two games left before we can start the next round, you will almost assuredly be put on the clock because once the time limit hits, players slow down even more. It's just human nature. I see it every year, every year at nationals when you have a game that, you know, hits the time limit, last round is called, that last round can take 10 or 12 minutes because players simply, they, they're not on the clock anymore, right? So they can take the time. They can take three minutes, four minutes in a preparation phase to literally just sit and think and make sure they're making all the exact right decisions. And that's not okay. And that's not fair to the other hundred players that have already finished their games that are just sitting there waiting for you guys to finish up. It's not fair. So that's when you'll see them most stringently enforced is if you hit the time limit for the round timer, 45 minutes, yeah, you're getting like 90 seconds. That's it. 90 seconds, draw, upkeep, prep. That's what you get. Yeah, that's definitely understandable. Um, do you think it's more so the decision making that you got, that you kind of hinted at there of where you're just kind of trying to assume what all lines of play the opponent has based on possible hand look that you had previously just overthinking that or do you think there's so many game functions in that people are trying to fit into their prep phase like trying to just do as much to create the game state for the way the game's going to play out on their first prep phase do you think that's part of it um i, I think it's a little bit of a combination of both to be honest i definitely saw games uh where players were sitting and thinking and potentially quote unquote overthinking. And I definitely saw games where players were literally trying to take that many actions. And what I actually saw most that I found really interesting was, and it was with a widow deck, but that's not why we're holding these timing rules so hard before anybody says, Oh, they're trying to kill widow. No, that's not what we're doing at all. Because frankly, the first player that I saw doing it was not playing a widow deck. Um, but I saw a widow player literally count his hand four times to determine whether or not he should play Life in the Sun one more time. He'd, he'd use two activations of it. He had a dice on him with two activations tracked for the four activations rule. And he literally counted his hand four times, deciding whether or not he should play Life in the Sun again. So then he decided to play Life in the Sun, drew his cards, 
And then he evaluated his hand again to determine, hey, how many cards can I play out of this hand if I want to play life a fourth time? Like, I'm sorry, that's a whole lot of thinking. You should know as going into the turn, hey, I've got these six cards in my hand. I can drop these all on the table and I can boom, 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 life in the sun. Like you can do a life in the sun turn in 90 seconds if you have it thought out and know your lines of play and know what you're doing. Practice your deck. Know what cards are okay to have on the table, which ones aren't. Know which tutors you might need to play. Know which tutors you can discard. And you can take your prep phase in under 90 seconds. I promise you. I promise you, you can. Yeah, I think when we first got into the game, me and Brad, I talk about it a lot, that we used to play each other and just we would have like three and four hours of playing and it would end up being one or two games because we would get to that point to where it was just like, all right, let's just play it out, even though we would hit time. Like if we were in a tournament, let's play it out to time and just see what would happen. And I think that honestly for like last year, when I guess last year was my first full tournament season, um, I could definitely tell that I had some of those bad habits of like, oh, just playing the game out and playing at a pace that lets you play freely. So um, I think I've gotten better with it this year, but I definitely think there's some bad habits that get developed when you're playing casual games and then, Lackey doesn't really help because Lackey takes longer to get an actual game in because of, you know, just the element of being on the computer and whatnot and communicating through the type chat and everything like that. So, oh yeah, hundred percent. Lackey, Lackey forms all sorts of bad habits. Um, another Lackey bad habit that I think either you and I talked about on the podcast before, or maybe it was Tyler or Jaden. I don't know. I've heard it before, but it's worth bringing up since we are so close to nationals. And I don't know if you're releasing an episode of nationals week or not. I hope you do, but like, we're so close to nationals. This is kind of going to be like, let's talk about all things nationals. So bad habit that a lot of players do looking at your reserve while you're performing an ability that can search multiple locations. It is so easy and lackey to just click, boop, hey, look, my reserve. Yeah, no, I don't want anything there. I've already played the enhancement. I don't want anything there. I better go to my deck. You can't do that with real cards. You play the enhancement, and if it says either or, you got to pick at that moment which one you're doing. You can look at your reserve all you want before you play the enhancement or activate the hero ability or whatever it is, but that is a super common one that, frankly, I catch myself doing that. I catch myself doing it on Lackey when I know that I shouldn't do it, but it's so easy to just whoop, click the button, and I catch myself trying to do it in real life. Like, yeah. you can't and, do it. And on Lackey, it doesn't put it in the chat. Hey, player looked at their reserve because – so there's no real accountability unless you hold yourself accountable. Right, and that's hard for, that's hard for players to do because, like, it's so easy. It's so easy. Yeah, especially with Lackey when you're Lackey's used a lot to test new decks and decks that you aren't familiar with and it's where you kind of like the stomping grounds to get familiar with a the deck theme or idea. And oh, so yeah. it's like I don't know this line of play, so I'm gonna look at the reserve real quick. Now nah, I need to go to deck. So I mean it's completely understandable, but it definitely is just one of those ways that bad habits kind of creep into the player base and then we go to tournaments and you see it play out. Right. So I definitely see the the need for us to play at a, a better pace i guess overall you know especially when nationals i mean if we have let's just say 80 type one players i mean how many rounds is that going to be that's like 10 rounds right 
Um, hold on, and I will tell you, I have in front of me a super cool document. It's called the uh, Tournament Tracker, and there is a um, tab on here. Most players don't tab all the way over on this, um, but there is... Um, oh, maybe it's not here. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, there is a tab that says notes on this thing that literally tells you how many minimum rounds you need to play uh, for for each number of players that you could possibly have uh, for both two player and multiplayer. So if you ever bring back multiplayer or play multiplayer for fun, it literally tells you in this document. It's super cool. So if we had 80 type one players, which is within the realm of possibility, by the way, um, we would have to play a minimum of seven rounds to determine a winner. And we are playing straight Swiss, and if we play seven rounds, that is essentially single elimination style. So it's far more likely we play at least eight, if not nine rounds of type one with 80 players. So I don't necessarily have permission to give this number, um, but I was with Gabe at regionals this weekend, and we have 86 players pre-registered for nationals. 86. Wow. That's awesome, yeah. man. After after going to my first nationals last year, and I was hyped about it, and like the people that were there were hyped, but there was so many people that couldn't make it because of COVID concerns and because of just life issues. To know that there's 86 when the tournament field was, I think for Type One was like 30 something last year. I mean that's awesome. Yeah, I and by the way, remember, Type One isn't paired against anything besides Type A. Yep. So should have the full player base right hopefully you know, granted, some of those 86 are players like myself i'm not playing on during nationals weekend i'm the mc all weekend so i'm not playing i'm one of those 86 gabe is probably pre-registered i don't actually know if he pre-registered or not but like that's kind of the thing he would do gabe is hosting all weekend gabe is probably not playing um tyler stevens is judging at least one, if not two days. Pretty sure he pre-registered. So like of that 86, not necessarily all of those are player players. But yeah, we have 86 people pre-registered. And I know for a fact that there's a good handful of people that I know are coming that didn't pre-register. Like we're going to hit 100 players for sure at the tournament. And it's possible that we'll hit over 90 players in the type one category, which will be amazing. Yep. Definitely, definitely some exciting times. So are there any tips that you have for, so say I've acknowledged with you guys coming out and saying that there's, you know, players that are taking a little too long in your turns and whatnot. And now I've acknowledged that I am one of those people and I want to fix it. And so I want to do some practicing before nationals and, you know, in the nine days here that we have, not sure how many games you can get in, but just to go through my deck and do like goldfish. One a day. Yeah, so how, what what tips do you have for someone to improve the lines of play and the speed that they do? Should you just goldfish and go twice as fast as you normally do? Or is there other tips that you have for a player? So goldfish, yes, but not go, not just double your action speed. What I would do is grab your smartphone that I know 99% of the players listening to this have. Grab your smartphone, pull open your clock app, click on the stopwatch, and time yourself. Click the start button and then take your turn and see how long it actually took you to do it. And remember, when you're goldfishing, there aren't cards on the other side of the table. And that is a 
factor and a function that does make things take longer. When there's not cards on the other side of the table, I, yeah, I can play faster. I don't have to consider any of those. But if my opponent has a shield down, now I have to consider whether or not I want to search. And so, like, that's a factor there, you know? And so, like, take that into account as you're goldfishing. But literally, get out your smartphones, get out your stopwatches, and clock yourself and see how long you are actually taking to perform these actions. So, full disclosure, I went down to regionals with Jaden. Jaden was one of the players I had to put on the clock. And we talked about it driving home. And he literally said that that's what he's going to do. He and Justin are going to sit down this week. They're going to play and they're going to clock each other so that they can work on their speed. I could see Jaden being that one of those players. And I bet that was a super awkward conversation or maybe not, but no, he's my brother-in-law. Like we're <laughs> cool. We can have open, honest conversation with each other. It's whatever. It's fine. He's fine. I'm fine. We're all fine. But I, I could see that developing for him just because he goes at a certain pace for his videos and whatnot for people to, you know, keep on, keep up with him as he's playing for his YouTube channel. So I could see that being a place where maybe some of those uh, slower lines of play develop for him. But uh, I bet that's going to be fun being in that, that house this week for them to be just beating each other over the head with their, <laughs> their nationals <laughs> decks. All right. So John, I hear that there's another project in the works that may be debuting at nationals. So you want to kind of enlighten us there? Um, yeah, so I was talking about the uh, tournament tracker earlier, and I happen to have it open in front of me uh, to pull that up because I've been working on an improvement to it uh, for myself uh, with the way that I'm going to do the tournament and nationals. And I don't know if we'll roll this out to the greater public at large. It definitely has some uh, some intricacies to it and some uh, things that I know I need to do to make it work for me um, that other Host might not just know to do because um, I don't have it like perfectly programmed. I'm doing it kind of a quick and dirty way to make it work for myself. Um, but what I've done, and it won't debut at nationals because I debuted it at North Central Regionals to test it, um, and it went fairly well overall. We identified a couple of things that we need to uh, make adjustments to, and that's kind of what I'm working on now. But it is printed score slips for each game. And so basically, after the pairings are created, I have created another tab in the tournament tracker. If you've ever used it before, uh, basically it has tabs that say, you know, two player one, two player two, two player three, multiplayer, et cetera. Um, and you type in all the names of the players and then you click on start and next and all that stuff. So what I've done is created another tab called printouts and it pulls the information after each set of after basically it runs its pairings calculations. So after it pairs the players, it then creates um, small slips with each player's name on it. It basically has a spot for um, the score for player one, uh, the score for player two, and then a signature box for each player that they can certify and authenticate the score. It also has an indicator for who went first. Uh, one of the biggest things that we find as we judge nationals and any larger tournament for that matter is when we call time, we go around to the tables and it's, you know, if you're sitting down and playing against, you know, Josh Ned or something, it's, hey, Josh, hey, John, who went first? And then you guys sit there and you think about it. And then I'm like, okay, like, so like who made the first attack? Like who had souls? You know, things like that. In the old days, it was, hey, who drew the most, do you remember who drew the most souls and stuff like that? Now, since it's random, it's a little trickier, but 
players just they don't remember. You're six turns into the game. It's 45 minutes later. You don't know who went first. So we've put it in an easy way where, hey, at the very beginning of the game, you have your score slip. Who goes first? Check the box. Boom. Player A, Josh Nett, he went first. Then when judges come around to call time at the end of the rounds, we don't even have to ask. We just look at the slip and say, oh, cool. Josh, you went first. You're currently taking your turn. Okay, finish your turn. You haven't attacked yet. You get your attack. The opponent gets their attack, and then the game is over, you know, and stuff like that. So that's going to be really good. The other thing that this enables is because both players will just sign it right there at the table. We no longer have to have both players come up to report the score. In fact, they don't have to have players come up at all. Another advantage, the timeout thing, is so often when games timeout at the end, it's, well, now they got to clean up their cars and then come up and report the score and it just adds more time. Now a judge just grabs that slip, you finish your game, you sign it, judge grabs a slip, he brings it up to the MC, and the players clean up at the table there, and they don't have to worry about reporting their score there um, because both signatures are on it. Both players have looked at it. Both players agree that it's correct. It also gives us the ability to, if a mistake is made on the MC, that's me, on my part, um, with typing in a score, I can easily go back and verify off the paper slip. Oh, hey, I totally typed that in wrong and we can fix it. It also allows us just to have some deeper tracking capabilities with things like, hey, who went first as it correlates to winning percentages and things like that. That's something that the player base has become very attuned to this year um, and the past couple of years, really. And it's something that we're definitely paying attention to um, as a leadership group um, and card creation team of, hey, how much does going first truly actually matter? Does it matter as much as we think it does? Um, and so far, like I said, we use these at North Central Regionals. So far, the data kind of says yes. But I'll be super curious when we have a huge field at Nationals to really dive into the data and look at it. Um, so, yeah. We're going to roll those out, roll them out for, for regionals. They went really well, making a few slight tweaks and improvements to it. Um, the regionals version didn't have round indicators on them, um, so I had to be pretty careful with how I was keeping them um, so that I kept them separate for each round. They also didn't have category indicators on them because uh, I just wasn't thinking about that as I built it. So I'm adding those elements to it to indicate, hey, what category is this score slip for and you know what round is this score slip for so we can have better tracking and ease of me jumping back and forth between tabs as I'm entering scores and things like that. So, um, yeah. And then the who went first thing at regionals, we had them literally write the player name in there, but even that can take a little bit of time. So we're switching to checkboxes. There'll just be a checkbox by each name. And then there's a question on there who went first and it'll just literally check the box. So, so that'll be good um, for nationals. So I'm excited about them. I think it's going to make things go super smooth and easy because if we have nine rounds of play, the tournament host guide says you should plan for an hour per round, 45 minutes to play, 15 minutes between rounds for various things. So if we don't get started until 9 a.m., nine hours takes us to 6 p.m. and that's with no lunch break. So I love redemption as much as the next guy, but I don't want to be playing until 7 p.m. at night. And that assumes that we're perfect the entire day. We don't have a single game that times out and takes more than that 15 minutes. It assumes that we get started right on time at 9 a.m. You know, it's assuming a lot of things. I don't know anybody that wants to play Redemption until 10 o'clock at night all day long. I mean, some people, but like that's not what the majority of the players are there for. Yeah, plus some people are going to want to get in on those side events, but exactly. not going to leave time for that if we're 7, 8 o'clock getting done with Type that's 1. That's exactly right. No time for that nonsense. So, 
that definitely sounds like a more simplified process to it because uh, last year I always like when we played when I did my rounds or whatever. Whoever I played generally got up before me because I go ahead and shuffle completely before the next round, and they would just gather up and I guess do it before their next round. And so they would go to the table, and then I feel like the pressure of, oh, I'm supposed to go report it too, so get up, leave my cards, and then come back. So yeah. cutting all that out. That's what you were supposed to do last year. This year, as long as you've signed that slip, and as long as one of you brings it up to me, I'm good. And I trust that, hey, you know, one player didn't forge the other one's signature. Like, if we start forging signatures on these things, we're so far gone, it don't even matter. Yeah, so I definitely think that's going to be a good improvement in the process for – the longer tournament play at nationals. So looking forward to that. Is there anything else that you you've got up your sleeve? Um, I guess kind of just got glossed over in that. And the fact that you said you were not playing, so you are not playing teams either at nationals. No, I'm not playing teams. The whole looking for a teammate thing at the very beginning of the year. Yeah, I was looking for one. Um, and I did really appreciate Ron's, uh, um, resume that he sent me, but no, the, uh, the plan for a little bit now, has been for me to be the MC this year. Um, Chris has a couple things that uh, came up for him where he won't be there all weekend. Um, and frankly, I've been kind of wanting to be the MC for a few years and not wanting necessarily, but like Chris and I are obviously very good friends. Um, and Chris, you know, has been teaching me and showing me how he runs tournaments and stuff like that. And I've been helping him uh, do that for a few years. And so that's kind of always been the secession plan is that whenever Chris was kind of ready to hang it up that, um, I would kind of take over. Um, but honestly, um, the Nationals host gets to choose their MC every year. Um, so just because I'm doing it this year doesn't mean that next year's host will choose me to do it. Um, I would hope that they would. Um, they've always chosen Chris in the past year after year. Um, I would hope that they choose me because I'm just kind of ready to, to transition to that next phase. Um, I will say I kind of wanted to play at regionals, but I wanted to test my score slip, so I didn't. Um, but I'll still be a highly competitive player. I'm just kind of done playing in nationals events. I'm, I'm content to, to retire from that and take a step back and give back to the game in, in other ways. Yeah, that's fair. Um, at some point, though, I'll have to try to try to talk you into playing in nationals so I can beat you. But, yeah, I mean, good luck. <laughs> and just for those of you that are not familiar with him, have, maybe haven't been to nationals before, the Chris that he's referring to is Chris Bainey, not Chris Fashman. So yes, yes he was Bainey. the previous MC, and John is now taking over for that, at least for this year, those duties. So not Chris Fashman. So just to just to clarify for people, although you know, give Chris a couple of cups of coffee, and maybe he'll be your Bainey. Well, so it's kind of ironic because like literally like two, three days ago, um, Chris uh, offered to MC the last day so that I could play teams if I wanted to. <laughs> um, and I said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. I'm all MC all three days. Oh, nice. So I guess you're just going to make it that much easier for the team's field to get to that uh, King of Tyrus. That's so. exactly that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm bowing out to give everybody else a chance at it. <laughs> so is there anything else that you have up your sleeve for nationals uh not for nationals exactly but i do have something up my sleeve um so earlier today gabe called out that uh 
you know, he's given out some spoilers to various people and various other places in the Discord. So I am happy to uh, let you guys know that I have one of those. Um, and I didn't pick this one. I do get to spoil cards, you know, on a regular on Discord and things like that. But uh, this one was given to me in my capacity as uh, as the Covenant Games guy. So sometime uh, later this week, there will be a spoiler uh, that pops up on the Covenant Games website for everybody to to take a peek at. So you might want to keep your eyes on that this week because uh, I will spoil it at some point here this week. So that's the thing I have up my sleeve um, is just getting to... Uh, getting to spoil a card that way not the way that I normally get to. Nice. So definitely keep up with Covenant Games in the coming week. Um, so you were at North Central Regionals. I know you said you didn't play and you were working on your, your score slips. Do you um, have results for that? Maybe you could share because I didn't get those when we did the, the front half of the episode here. Yeah. Yeah, I've got some results I can share with you. Um, so I've got all the documents here. Let me just make sure I've got them all open. Um, yep. So let's see here. So we played, we played it, we did it all in one day. So we had two sessions, uh, the morning session, we had type one, uh, two player. And then the afternoon we had, uh, teams booster, um, type two, two player and sealed, um, or sorry, sealed was in the morning. So we had sealed and type one, two player in the morning. And then the afternoon we had, uh, booster type two, two player and teams. So in booster draft, the top three were Kai Murphy in third place, Brett Eller in second and Josh Knitt, uh, in first. And I believe Josh posted his winning deck list on uh, the forums already. Uh, I was watching him draft and it was crazy. Uh, cause his first pack, I like, he had an ultra rare and a Joshua and I thought he was taking the Joshua. Like he literally had the Joshua like on his play mat and then he changed his mind. So it was, it was crazy. Um, so that was booster in sealed deck. Um, in third place, we had Willow Isbell in second. We had Annalise Murphy. And then in first place we had Sean Murphy. So that was a competitive field there. We only had four players. They played round robin, um, and it broke down pretty nicely with nine, six, and three points for the top three players. So that's it's always good when that works out. Sometimes round robin can get a little messy, um, but this time it worked out just fine. Um, so then, dun, 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 type one, two player. So this one was definitely a small but stacked field. We didn't have all that many players at North Central Regionals, and I think that's for a few reasons. A, a lot of the Minnesota guys were tied up busy, moving, et cetera, things like that. Um, B, um, I think a lot of the Iowa guys just weren't able to do, you know, a couple weekends back-to-back with Nationals being literally, you know, next week or whatever. So, but, I mean, it was a stacked field for, you know, nine, ten players here in, in type one. I mean, there's – hold on. One – to there's two former national champions in this mix and a whole slew of people that have top cut and other really high placings. I mean, it's a stacked field. So in third place was Mitch Stewart, um, barely edging out Jaden by a half point. And then in second, we had Josh Kinnett. And in first, we had Zap Gillaw. Um, so really good, really good players there in a really stacked field um, doing that. So then in teams, um, we had uh, two teams, and the team of 
Forest, Isabel, and Lexi, too, beat the team of Willow and Asher, Isabel. Then in type 2 two-player, we had two players, and Jaden Allstad defeated Zach Zeiss for the win in that category. Nice, nice. So do you do you have any idea um, if you saw – do you feel like you saw in that tournament field the potential Nationals winning deck? Um. Yes, because <laughs> um, there were there was a good variety of decks being played. Uh, there were definitely some Widow variants out there. Um, I saw, I think they were different slightly just by a couple cards. So I think I saw two Widow variants. Um, there was a post-Exilix variant, and I think either one of those could easily win Nationals if they get the right draws, right player playing it, run hot. Nationals is 75% picking the right deck. 20% playing really, really well, and 5% luck, honestly. I mean, it's not it's not all just, hey, I have the best deck. Like, that is a factor in it. Um, but if you have a really, really good deck and you are a really good player and you just run hot, get decently lucky with draws, and don't make mistakes, like, anybody can win. I, I truly feel that way. Um, so, so yeah, I think I saw the Nationals winning deck because I think it could be either Post-Exilix or Widow, or it could be a sleeper thing. There was a white-ish based uh, musician deck. Um, I think it's the deck that won either Iowa State or Minnesota State or something. Um, and I think that deck is really strong. I still think that deck's strong because it capitalizes on a lot of things that the Post-Exilix deck and the Matthew deck are trying to punish. Um, i.e. it plays a low brigade count and it has things to answer territory stuff that's going on. So I think that deck could be a sleeper deck that in the right hands comes up and, and wins enough games to, to pilot to a victory. So I saw that deck in the field. So yeah, I think that I'm not going to tell you what deck is going to win nationals, but do I think I saw it? I think there's a good likelihood of that because I did see even in 11 players, a lot of solid deck diversity and I, I don't think, I mean, Widow is going to be a dominant part of the meta. And simply for having more bites at the apple, it might be the deck that wins nationals. But I don't think that it is necessarily like the winning deck by any means. I think there are a few different ones out there that are all pretty good that could win. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, let me ask you this, because when you talk about the Widow variant deck, and, you know, there's versions of that that likes to use Matthew for that turn one rescue and then maybe hit the um, combo in the discard phase or whatnot. But, so you have it kind of mixed with Disciples, and then I guess there's probably some variants where maybe it isn't so Disciple-focused. So we're, if we call that a combo deck like we have the last, uh, the last year with like Love at First Sight and other combo decks, do you think there's a counter deck that is actually pretty good or do you think you still have to play a balanced deck and just tech for you know having an answer to that with maybe you know a way to get to herdsmen to you know mitigate their draw a little bit by you also gaining some advantage or whatnot or do you think there's a, a strong counter deck that could possibly be played i don't think there is a reliable consistent way to stop it if it goes first there are some things you can try to toss out to slow down, 
but just with the flexible nature of a lot of its cards, it can answer a lot of those. You can definitely make it challenging for it. Um, I think about cards like Vein Philosophy, if you hit that at the right time um, and take out a piece, that could be a way to slow it down for a turn. Um, you know, Crowd Soul, they've got a lot of answers around that. Darkness Soul, dropping something in play, they can bounce it with life in the sun and things like that. So I think you can slow it down slightly by making it use its resources inefficiently early on. Um, but do I think you can outright stop it from going off if they go first? No, um, or at least I haven't found a reliable way yet to do it. Now, if I go first, yeah, I can slam the brakes on that thing real quick. There's a lot of things that I can do from a going first perspective that significantly can hinder what that deck can do. Um, but that's random now. You know, if it was a situation where, hey, I can just stack up, you know, souls and stars to grab souls and all that kind of stuff to, to you know, help, quote unquote, guarantee me going first then yeah, I'd feel a lot better about playing some counters and things like that. Um, obviously, the Widow deck would slam as many of those ways in um, as it can too, but that's kind of the nice thing is the Widow deck can't necessarily slam in the the Amos and the um, other dudes that you know the Love at First Sight deck was playing last year and that the counter deck was also able to play because um, they're off brigade for the Widow deck. So uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think going... If, it, if you allow it to go first, allow what what if it wins the dice roll and goes first, you're going to have a tough time, uh, which is why I do think not necessarily hard counters, um, but mitigation is is kind of the way to go. And that might be tricky, too. But you you hit on one that's really good, and that is uh, the herdsman um, herdsman as a as a quote unquote counter card, more of a catch up card is is really strong right now, strongly positioned against it. Um it's a deck that plays with a lot of brigades in hand. So cards like Lion, Prophet, Damsel, Spirit of Divination, those types of things can be good catch-ups. And it plays with a good number of brigades down on board. So things like Black Gold Outsiders are pretty good against it as either a catch-up mechanism or a way to get rid of uh, cards. So, you know, some combination of those may or may not be the right exact cards to play. But do I think you can do things about the Widow deck? Yeah, I absolutely think you can do things about the Widow deck. I'm not saying that you can beat it consistently. Um, you know, I'm not saying you can wait the coin flip so far in your favor the way that Josh was able to last year. Um, Josh Potras, that is. Uh, but I do think you can beat it. Uh, I just don't think you can wait the coin flip hard enough like you could last year. Yeah, that's understandable. So it'll be interesting to see if or, or what type of variation of a Widow deck performs the best you know like last year we kind of had an idea you know jeremy had put out that list and love it for a sight and we expected him to do okay and there was a couple of other people playing it i ended up playing a version of it but then i think chad france from oregon ended up being the one that placed highest with it so it'd be interesting to see which player pilots it and gets it closest to the top and then see what variation whether it's the disciple based or or you know one that doesn't lean as much into the disciples so definitely interesting to uh to keep up with and i don't i don't know that it's as um prevalent in other circles as like love at first sight i, I think the outcry last year leading up to nationals like even the, the moment that we got to nationals was like oh man love at first sight what are we gonna do and everybody knows about widow but i don't know that 
people are freaking out as much as they did last year with Love at First Sight. So, you know, maybe there'll be a, a strong balance of, of other deck. You know, post Exilix, you got potential profit builds. You've got some of the new, um, you know, disciples that aren't trying to abuse that. Maybe there'll be a Church of Christ deck that tries to pull off the sewing bountifully. Who knows? But You're it'd be interesting to see that. Heavy deck. Well, I haven't seen personally defensive heavy at night or it work or even be played in our it's local so play good. group and stuff. So it's I don't, so I'm completely out of the loop on that. So if you want uh, to send me a deck list, I'll pilot it for <laughs> you. There's a, I think there's a pretty decent defensive heavy deck right now. Um, but frankly, the post phase two defensive heavy deck is much, much, much better. Um, but I do have, a practically guaranteed cross rescue. It's about as close as you can come to a guaranteed rescue that triggers cross. Um, there's a few different ways that I've seen players try um, to use cross in the way that cross was intended and not necessarily, you know, with widow and discarding your opponent's entire deck the way that Jaden did it, uh, but using cross as it was intended and getting one rescue through after turtling most of the game. Um, there's a couple different ways that are good and I have a way that is almost guaranteed, but it doesn't quite work, um, with the, uh, the eight card starting hand thing that Jaden posed the other day, which I thought was a super interesting thought exercise. Frankly, if you want to improve your gameplay, go back and read through, you know, Jaden's, you know, uh, challenge or whatever, and think through, you know, what, if you could pick any hand of eight cards, how would you get your rescue? If your opponent then got to pick any eight cards to go against you, like those kinds of thought exercises, that's what makes good players good. I I read that and I was thinking about it and I just, I started thinking about um, if you had the eight cards and depending on what they put down, it's almost like, do you try to, cause he was asking more about like an unstoppable rescue and so much of like today's game because it's that prep phase to where you're worried about what your opponent's going to do for I guess their turn and then the rest of the game that you're trying to create a board state versus just that really strong rescue turn one because it's kind of like I want to get these counters down and then I'll just slam you know Matthew or I'll come in with Noah preventing cards or something and then when he flipped it and it's like all right what eight cards for an unstoppable rescue and it's like hmm I'm really just trying to figure out what they're going to do next turn and plan for that in a in a normal deck. So I I really had like no thought on like I couldn't conceptualize eight cards solid rescue versus trying to create a board state that's in my advantage. So it was definitely kind of a outside the box thinking exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's good. It's good to think outside the box. It shows you things you might not have uh, gotten to otherwise. Yep. So I guess I'll I'll go ahead and wrap up here and get to editing. So I want to thank you for coming on and, you know, talking about the expectation for timing at nationals and whatnot and giving us some, some other tidbits of information like the uh, new score sheets that are going to be um, happening at nationals. Not debuting because they debuted at North Central Regionals, but happening in a possibly more refined state at nationals. So I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you guys for listening. Anything you want to say in closing? Nope. I just, I appreciate you having me on. It's always good to chat with you, buddy. All right. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Peace.
All right, guys, that's going to do it. Episode number 38 in the books. As always, I want to thank you for listening and tagging along with us. I want to thank John for coming on and sharing some insight into the expectations for pace of play as it relates to the announcement that they made for players to remain mindful of the phase time limits. I want to thank him also for taking on the role of MC at this year's Nationals and working to improve the scorekeeping process for us all to enjoy. And with that said, we are nine days, guys, single digits away. You're going to Nationals in nine days. We could be face-to-face. You could be sitting here recording something for the podcast with me, or we could be playing a game, Contender Deck, Iron Man. We could be playing some side events. Man, just dealer's choice, whatever you want to do. Come to Nationals, guys. Nine days away. Let's go.